Amen. God is good, right? Amen. You know, we're, uh, we're going to take some time to look at the life of Joseph today and kind of explore what God's goodness looks like, because it doesn't always look how we wish it would. And I have two, two points of good news for you today. One, the Cowboys are on a bye week, so I'm not keeping you late for anything, okay? Two, no one scurried towards the door because they realized Ridge wasn't preaching today. So that's encouraging to me. Uh, no, I really am. I'm thankful for the opportunity. Uh, we always are um, to have a pastor like Ridge who's willing to um, give us opportunities. Um, they are still doing the Lord's work way on the other side of the world. So keep them in your prayers. Um, they're getting back later this week. And as we look at a portion of Joseph's life today, um, we see a man who faced real, tangible, palpable heartbreak and struggle. Yet, according to Scripture, um, the Lord remained with him. And so I've landed on three truths from Joseph's life um, that should affect how we respond um, to the struggles, to the storms, to the battles we face in life. And uh, we've been going through the book of Acts with our students most of this semester. And so when Ridge asked me about this a a few, probably a month and a half ago or so, I was thinking something in the book of Acts. And I had a couple things, um, you know, based on on discipleship. I love to teach discipleship. I love um, to focus on those things because I've seen um, that it works. And then based, I was having conversations with people and I was realizing, um, man, even... (laughs) Even when we say we're doing pretty good, even for our loved ones who um, things are going fine, there's, there may not be um, these huge like balls of fire flying through their lives. Um, we all have our own battles. We have struggles. Um, we have heartache. We have um, dreams that maybe are expiring. Um, maybe you have arrived at a certain age and certain things are not in your life that you once thought they would be or wished would. And we come to terms with these things. And so um, the three things that I see, um, and we're going to look in Genesis at the life of Joseph, is that struggle, um, heartbreak, and heartache, they're universal. If you are a human being, you will experience those things. doesn't matter if you grew up um, coddled in a wealthy family. It doesn't matter if you grew up on the streets. Um, money can't buy a life free from struggle. It can help out in some areas, but there are some things um, that you are going to deal with. So we know the struggle is universal. Second thing, um, when these struggles and when these hardships come, they're not coincidental. They're not on accident. They're not the results of a negligent God. No, we're going to see today that it's with intention and with accordance to the master's plan, each thing that comes our way. Third thing is um, that we can take heart and remember as we look at this today, Jesus is no stranger to these struggles. He's not the chosen one that lived a life free of what you and I might experience. Um, no, he took, um, he drank the full cup of wrath. He experienced the entire thing. Maybe his life didn't look exactly like mine, um, but the highs I've experienced, the lows I've experienced, um, Jesus, whether in his life or at the cross, has experienced those things. We don't have a master who is um, just oblivious to what we're going through. No, we have a Savior who is um, aware and with us each step of the way. And I think these are important for us because there's kind of um, two lies that have seeped into um, American Christianity. Maybe any sort of like Christianity that's well, um, well off. We have this thought process and this idea that our circumstances dictate or they're equated with our blessing. And so if you got the job that you've been wanting, if you married the spouse you've been wanting, um, your kid gets the scholarship, you've bought the house, man, you are blessed. 
And that doesn't mean that can't be a portion of it. Um, but we've made the mistake of thinking that God's blessing is always um, in some sort of like physical, material benefit. And so if I don't have that, if I don't have that house or that spouse or that salary yet, then for some reason the Lord has overlooked me. And that's just not true. If you have those things, be thankful for them. But that does not mean um, that you are more chosen or more blessed. Because we're going to look today and we're going to see what God's blessing actually is. The second thing is we let our emotions dictate what we think truth is. So whenever I feel like God isn't being fair, or I feel like there's a portion of Scripture that um, doesn't mesh too well with today's societal values, then I feel like, you know what, maybe, maybe we can just kind of bend it. When really, as followers of Jesus, it should be truth that informs our emotions. When I feel like God isn't working um, in my life the way I want him to, it's my job as a believer to go to truth, to seek him in it, and to let him inform my emotions. Because they're unstable. They're not always um, predictable or reliable or true. We get it wrong sometimes, but when I go to God's word, um, he informs my emotions. He gives me something. um, He gives me the framework to stick to as a believer. And so we're going to spend some time um, in the book of Genesis, and we're going to pretty quickly scream through the life of Joseph and and see some things that he experienced. And so um, before we jump into scripture, though, would you guys pray with me? Father, we are um, so thankful for a church family that comes and enjoys meeting together, enjoys worshiping together, enjoys um, hearing your word. I know it's a blessing in my life, Father. It's an encouragement to me. And I pray that um, as we look today at the life of Joseph, that, um, Lord, we would see maybe in somebody else's life um, what you could be up to in ours. God, what you could be doing um, with our hardships, with our struggles, that we would take heart and know that, um, Jesus, you are with us in these things. I pray that you keep distractions out of the room as we, um, as we focus in, as we read, as we hear from you, God. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start briefly in Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to figure out a little bit, um, Joseph, we're going to figure out his origin story kind of what he's been up to, Um, the man he was, the 17-year-old he was, um, and who we are following through the story. And so let's read verses 1 through 10 together um, of Genesis 37. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Um, These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons um, of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives, And he brought a bad report to them about their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a row of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the others, um, they hated him and they could not bring themselves to speak peaceably of him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more, and he said to them, Listen to this dream that I've had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, it gathered your sheaves around it, and they bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and what he said. Verse 9, then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers, um, but his father rebuked him and said, What kind of dream is this that you have had? 
Are your mother and your brothers not going to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We learn a lot about Joseph in those first um, few verses of 37. I think it's important because we see um, Joseph had high hopes for his life. He had high expectations. Um, He had these dreams um, that were from the Lord. And um, we see that he was actually a pretty um, honest child. He lived a life he wanted to honor his father. Um, He worked hard. He was a man of integrity. And this found favor with his father, but not with his brothers. We might call him a a tattletale or a snitch, but he was like, hey, that's not right. Um, And of course, that did not earn him any more favor with his brothers. There's a series here, and we see, um, it's like, oh, you thought they couldn't like him any less? Well, now they do, because he told them about another dream. Um, So maybe Joseph's a little arrogant. Maybe he's a little too prideful. But I don't think it's uh, with ill intent. I think he has these dreams, and he's excited. I mean, who do you share things with when you're excited? Your family. The people around you. Um, Sometimes we might do that in a way that isn't pleasing to them. Or we might have to learn how to, how to celebrate with them instead of always just celebrating ourselves. Um, but all in all, Joseph appears to be a young man of character and discipline. He might also be bratty. He might be arrogant. He might be unaware. Um, he has a calling, though, and the Lord has revealed it to him. He has a calling. Um, these visions, he's not sure exactly what that looks like. But he knows he has a calling from the Lord, and the brothers hold it against him. So he's 17, about to go to the college of his dreams, Israel University. I'm just kidding, I don't know. Um, No, but he's a man on the cusp of growing up. He has these dreams, he's excited for the future, um, and then the storms of life hit. Have you ever been in a, a similar spot where you're excited and you're just like full of optimism and then something happens and there's like a flat tire on the car of your life and things aren't going as planned. Um, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. And the ironic thing about this is that um, in trying to thwart Joseph's visions and his destiny that God has for him, his brothers actually add the needed ingredients into Joseph's development. What he needed to grow into the man that God had him to be. Um, It was hardship and it was a ticket to Egypt. And trying to cancel his plan as well as brothers add to it. Flip over with me to Genesis 39. We're going to pick up and we're going to see a similar pattern um, to Joseph as a grown man. As a servant in Potiphar's house. Once again, um, Joseph proves himself to be a diligent worker. He proves himself to have high character. In the same way that he honored his father and his father's household, he worked to honor um, his new master, Potiphar, in his household. It says that uh, verses 2 through 6 of 39, says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master's sight. And he became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned. 
in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, and he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. So the Lord's blessing is on Joseph. And in this case, um, it's overflowing to the people around him, and it's actually um, material in this case. And so it sounds like things are going pretty well, um, but at the end of the day, this isn't Joseph's stuff. This isn't Joseph's life. This is not his, um, his own estate that he's gathering for his family. No, he is a servant with a master. And his master is a smart enough man to see something that's successful. And so he puts it in play in all the other aspects. And so even those around Joseph are experiencing his blessing, and it starts to sound pretty good. These historical figures that we read about in the Bible have it pretty good. Right? And he's making money for his master. He's been put in charge. Uh, We don't really think about him being a slave anymore. We don't think about um, the fact that he's probably still heartbroken and really um, wounded by his family that betrayed him. We don't think about the fact that he is put in a spot where he probably can't dream much anymore. Realistically, as a slave, there's not a lot you can wish for in the future. We forget that he was betrayed, he was sold, he was chained, he was drugged through the desert and forced into labor again. But it says the Lord was still with him. He was absolutely making the most of his circumstances. That's a free lesson right there. Make the most of what you have. Uh, Joseph was good about that, but I wouldn't say that his circumstances were favorable just yet. I don't know that I want to trade with Joseph when he's still a servant in Potiphar's house. Someone once said that favorable circumstances are not always the will of God. And we see it in there, in Joseph's life. But when I start to feel that pressure in my own life, I don't want it. Can favorable circumstances be your will? And can I grow through like something positive? But no, this challenge is needed. Um, in verse 2 it says, The Lord was with Joseph and he became successful. That's what I'm starting to see here is that um, blessing is God's presence in your life. Not just what he can do for you, not just what he provides, um, but because the Lord is with Joseph, he became successful. Apart from the Lord, I don't think Joseph would have had the same, the same success, the same benefit to his master's household. In that same portion of scripture, we see um, things get tougher for Joseph. He's working hard, he's a man of high character, he's trying to take care of his master's things, and then he is falsely accused ends up being um, arrested for something that he did not do. Because Joseph, he was a noticeable guy. His brothers noticed him a lot, didn't like it. Apparently people in Potiphar's household, including his wife, noticed him. Verses 7 through 15 line this out for us. It says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after some time his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, My master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused. Now one day he went um, into the house to do his work, 
and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she realized that, she, um, that he had left his garment and had ran outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fun of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, but I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. Sometimes we get into um, poor situations in life because we make dumb choices. We earn it. And at the end of the day, maybe a little maturity shows you, um, that was a tough season, but I did it to myself. And then there are times where we do the right thing and we make the right choices and things do still not turn out favorably for us. That's the, that's the region um, that Joseph is in right now. You know, Potiphar's wife was persistent, but so was Joseph. I don't know the rest of the uh, household slaves there, but I can't say that they would have all responded the way that Joseph did. He was a man of high character, and even still, um, even though things aren't going his way, he makes choices um, to honor God and to honor his master. When things escalate, he even flees. He doesn't even um, stay there and try to talk her off the ledge. He just gets out of there. You know, Matthew Henry said um, that it's worth noting it's better to lose a good coat than a good conscience. That's what Joseph did. He gets out of there. It's not worth it to him. He handles himself appropriately, and still things do not go his way. In my economy of, of fairness and how things go, I really want it to be when I do things well, I'm rewarded. Maybe even equally. You know? And in Joseph's life, that's not happening. He's doing what the Lord has asked him to do. He is faithful to his master. Before that, he's faithful to his father. And still things are not going the way he had wished. Really, not even close. He's still a slave here. He ends up wrongly accused and imprisoned. Quite a reward for moral behavior. Hey, you did the right thing. Take two and go to jail, okay? It's monopoly of the Bible here. How often do we want God's blessing um, since we're trying to do the right thing? I showed up at church this week. I started tithing. I volunteered for that study. I did this, I did that. Uh, hey, God, where's my blessing at? I'm trying to get right with you. It's not wrong to do those things. And I don't think it's wrong to have that mindset of, um, I want to follow the Lord because I want what he has for me. That's not what this is um, teaching against, but I think... We look at Joseph and we see somebody that we can learn something from in hardship and in endurance. He was persistent, not just with Potiphar's wife and the temptation she offered, but he was persistent in having faith in God, even though these things were still persisting. I want immediate results when I put in a positive thing, whenever I serve God's kingdom. And I think that reason that is is because I make the mistake too of thinking that my circumstance is based on my blessing. Hey God, this uh, hasn't happened yet and so when are you going to bless me with it? What if he's already blessing us right now and we're missing it? This is where when I was studying this passage, it, it stood out to me and it kind of clicked of what God was doing. Verse 21, Joseph has been sent to prison at this point. And, and verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended his kindness to him. How cool is that? 
Even in his um, lowest point, it says the Lord was with Joseph and extended his kindness to him. It looks good. It sounds really good. And I've got to wonder, though, in those moments at the bottom of the pit, in chains on the slave trade to Egypt, as a servant to be owned and forced into labor, as a prisoner to be ridiculed, did it feel to Joseph like the Lord was with him? Did he feel like God was extending his kindness to him when he did the right things and still things didn't go his way? You know, we know these stories. A lot of us grew up around them, and I think when we hear them, we kind of glaze over them. Ridge referenced Indiana Jones last week, and his cheat code to not being afraid was the fact that he knew the ending. So we read these stories, and we're like, yeah, Joseph, he had some unfortunate events, but basically he gets to be wealthy, respected, a king after like three paragraphs of struggle. I'll take that. Three paragraphs and then I get to be king? Cool. No, but Joseph didn't know in those moments what God had for him. It wasn't just a moment for him. What is a few pages for us in Genesis is actually 13 years of Joseph's life. It says he's 17 as a shepherd when we meet him. And when he finally um, is released from prison and goes into service for Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. 13 years of his life, 13 years of brokenhearted loneliness, 13 years of his prayers being heard but not answered in the way he wanted, 13 years of his desires being known but not met, 13 years of him facing the fact um, that his life is not going how he imagined it and it may never. 13 years. For reference, 13 years ago I was facing the challenges of 8th grade. Okay? That's a long time. That's a large span. And I say this not to cause pain and not to question God, but I think to validate Joseph's pain and try to bring us into the mind of a man who was chosen by God to do great things and simultaneously tested by him. He was chosen by God to do great things, but his path was not made clear the entire way. Now there's 13 years of struggle, 13 years of, God, why is this happening to me? I'm trying here. 13 years of other people seeming to have the life that Joseph probably imagined wanting. You know, the hardships of life can produce maturity and depth in our character like almost nothing else can. If you've been around long enough, you can attest to that. They're usually not fun. They're not your favorite things, but in reality, you look at them with a little bit of um, thankfulness because... That grew me. That moment, I learned something. I grew closer to God than I ever have before because of that, the way he tilted the lens in that moment. And I know that our enemy knows this, and I think he uses these trials to cause the roots of doubt, anger, and even pride to grow in our lives. How often do either our, we ourselves feel this way or we hear other people talking, we're like, I'm doing the right things, and God just must not care. Or I tried that already and it didn't work. And I think what it is, is those circumstances, if you wait long enough, if you are patient, if you trust in God through that experience, you know he's growing you, he's maturing you, he's adding depth to what you're doing. But if you stop short, it's really hard to see what he's up to.
However, whenever we focus on Jesus, these trials can and will be some of the most influential and life-giving experiences we have. Makes you real. Makes you a person with a story. Makes you a person that can relate to others. You know, the Lord uses them to call us deeper and to show his glory and to take us further than we've ever been before. We're going to get to the end of Joseph's story just briefly. But today, um, I was intentional in us camping out in his hardship more than in his success because uh, I don't know about you guys, but there's hardship in my life. Even now. There are people that I talk to on the phone that are unhappy, that don't see how God's working, don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And I think that's okay when we trust him with it because it's not, um, he's never going to reveal this to me. It's at the right time he will reveal it. And this isn't to say that we're all going to um, grow up to be pharaohs and run the world one day if we get through our struggle, um, but we will get to the purpose that he has for us. Those steps along the way were not mistakes in Joseph's life. No, God knew them, he foresaw them, I mean, he put him in those spots because they were stepping stones of where he needed to be and be, to be the man that helped save the nation. It's a powerful story when you step back and look at the entire thing of it. And so here at the end, I want to leave you with three principles to help you, to help me, um, to help us take heart in our battles right now. I already said, struggle is universal. While none of these experiences may be exactly the same, um, it is safe and accurate to acknowledge that each person in this room has, currently is, or will soon face something heavy. Maybe multiples. (laughs) There might be a lot going on in your life. As I said, it's part of the human condition. And here's the power to it. Instead of creating um, a self-focused or pity party about the things that aren't going my way, no, when you follow Jesus, he uses the struggles in your life um, to evoke compassion, to draw compassion out of you. And then when you see your brothers and sisters in the faith hurting, when you see the person at work um, who are having those low moments, you can actually notice it and recognize it. You can identify with them because you're not so stuck in your own world of pain. But no, I remember um, when I lost my parent or my spouse or this or that, whatever those things are, um, you have those experiences to tap to tap into and to minister to those people with. You tell that person that I know what it's like to hurt, and Jesus does too. There's power in that. The second one is that your struggle is not a lack of blessing or something of chance. Whether caused or simply allowed by the Lord, we can trust that he can and will use it in ways that we can't even imagine. I don't know what Joseph had in mind as his brothers considered whether to kill him or just to sell him into slavery. Or what he had in mind while he was a servant in Potiphar's house or while he was falsely imprisoned. He was given visions um, as a young man as to what the future could hold. And I bet there's times where he was like, I don't see how that's possible. I don't even know what that means. But we can trust that the Lord is using it in ways that we can't see yet. There's purpose, there's something greater in the future that he is leading us towards. In Joseph's worst seasons, it says that the Lord was still with him and still had favor on him. 
Even when Joseph didn't feel like it. And so I think that means for us as believers, um, even in our worst moments, in our hardest battles or the times where we're the most sad or most heartbroken, um, I think it's safe to say that um, the Lord is with you. And the Lord has his blessing on you. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Because we know um, that this story serves to remind us that blessing is not based on how favorable your circumstance is but rather how powerful and how present God is in your life. That's blessing. How powerful God is and how present he is in your life. And the good news is that he's always present and he's always powerful. We're always blessed. In Christ, I am always blessed, even if my enemies and my circumstances are fighting to convince me otherwise. That's what happens when I look to God's word for truth um, to shape how I feel instead of how I feel to shape what God's word must say. And I realize, hey, maybe things aren't going the way um, I was told they're going to go or I expected or I wished or in my family's life or the life of loved ones here in the church. There's people like, man, like, I wish that wasn't the case for them. But guess what? God's blessing is on that person because he is in their life and he is present. Fast forward to the end, one verse out of Genesis 50 for you. Here's what this happens um, if you stay the course over time. You gain this perspective, you gain this wisdom that Joseph has. In Genesis 50 verse 20, his brothers are afraid he's going to kill him because he's in power now and he can get revenge. His family's afraid that he's going to neglect him, he's going to kick him to the curb. And Joseph says one of the most powerful things. He says, you planned evil against me. But God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. That is a powerful perspective that is only gained by endurance. There was a journey on Joseph's life to get to the point where he could see things and understand them that way. That didn't happen immediately. And we wish it would. Trust me, I do too. But what I see from the life of Joseph is if you stay the course, if you trust in God, he's going to use you in a mighty way. And you're going to see um, results that you had no idea of. You're going to see people that you taught in Sunday school or VBS, and they grow up to do incredible things. Or maybe they grow up to do very normal things, and they're a faithful Sunday school teacher. We don't know what God has in store for the future. But we know the struggle is worth it because his hand is on it. The third one here, and this might be the most important, is for me, in my struggle to remember that Jesus is no stranger to my heartache. Whatever's got me down, whatever's hurting me, um, he is no stranger to it. He's endured it on his own, and he's a close enough friend where um, he can feel when I'm hurting. He can feel when you are hurting. He knows when it's not well. We know there's those people that come up and talk, and like, hey, how you doing? And you say, oh, I'm pretty good. And they're like, man, that's great to hear. And really, you're like dying inside. <laughs> and then there's people who, uh, they come talk to me, and they're like, hey, Jeff, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm pretty good. And they're like, you're lying to me, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's not fun, but in the moment, I'm like, man, no, that person knows me well enough to sense what I'm telling them without even telling them. Jesus is that friend who's endured it himself and senses it in your spirit and he's with you in the struggle. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that even Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. 
Even Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That means that um, in my life, there could be a, a multiplicity of reasons why something is going on. But not the least of them is that it's an opportunity for me to learn obedience the same way that Jesus did. There's another man in the Bible who didn't have cheat codes. No, he learned obedience the hard way. He cried when his friends died too. Jesus loves us too much for us to face these things alone. In every storm you see, every lion's den, every dark night, he is present. He's there, he's um, alongside. And then 2 Corinthians 1, 4, it reminds us of the comfort that he provides. It says that he comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others in theirs. There's a process to all of this. And it's not just um, the isolation of Jeff's story and Jeff's spirit, but the way God created the church to work together is that when I experience struggle and I go to the Lord for comfort, he comforts me. And then when I go um, to our student ministry or talk to our parents or talk to um, anyone in the church, I can share that comfort because he gives me way more than I actually need. It overflows. He doesn't deal with us on a case-by-case basis, but he says, no, um, I'm going to fill you up with comfort. And that way, whenever um, someone else is experiencing that pain and that heartache, um, you have compassion for it, and then you have something to give them. When I'm stuck in my own head, and I feel sorry for myself, and I'm ranking up my life to my peers, and like, yeah, they had a bad day, but they didn't have that bad of a day. Um, When I do that, I lose sight, and I miss out on the comfort that Jesus provides. We get into moods like that, don't we? Where we almost want to feast on our bad day. No, I want my day to be way worse than yours was because I'm just, I'm in it right now. No, but when I do that, I miss out on the comfort that Jesus provides. Beyond that, if I miss out on the comfort that Jesus provides, my selfishness will keep me from being effective um, in my ministry of his grace to other people. If Joseph lives his life frustrated and angry at his brothers for what they did to him, and he can't ever get over it, he might still rise to power in Egypt. And then when they come and they beg him for food because there's a famine in the land and no one's surviving, he probably doesn't give it to them. Eh, you guys mistreated me. Trust me, there are people that can hold a grudge that long. Okay? No, but he has um, the heart... To seek comfort in the Lord, and when the Lord comforts him, people come to him. He says, you know what? No, I have the ability to help you, and I want to. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to conclude this lesson, this, this picture from the Bible today. But whether it's your hardships or whether it's Joseph, we know these things to be true. One, your struggle is not a lost blessing. It's not a forgotten need, but it's actually an opportunity for God to show you his glory. To show others his glory through you. To mold you, to mature you, and to shape you. That makes you a dangerous disciple whenever struggles come, and instead of them getting you down and weighing you down, you see them as an opportunity for God to do something big. Second thing, your struggle is not faced alone. 
One, you have a church family that loves you and cares for you. And beyond that, you have a master, a Messiah, a friend called Jesus um, who moves alongside you every step of the way. I know there are people with um, different family backgrounds than mine or different church experience than mine. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that um, the Lord did not set this up to be a lone wolf race. Community is important. And community means um, that you give and you take. You give and you receive. And so that means that if I want to be a person who helps other people with their struggle, if I want to be a person who helps um, speak into that, then I have to be willing to give some of my own to them too. And if we all walk around um, self-contained in our misery, like there is nothing going wrong, you don't ever give the person the opportunity to come alongside you. But in reality, um, our struggles do not have to be faced alone. Parents, if your teenager is doing it, somebody else's teenager is doing it. Teenagers, if it's happening in your home or at school to you, you're not the only one facing it. If it's your kids, if it's your grandkids, if it's work, um, there is a very slim chance that you're the only person, even in a church, um, here in Temple, Texas, that is dealing with something similar to that or ever has in the course of your life. But he's given us community uh, to fight these battles with. He's given us people to run alongside, and he's given us um, Jesus at the forefront saying, hey guys, this way. You may not see it yet, but it's going to be worth it. Third one is your struggle is never in vain or without purpose. You know, Joseph's struggles, they prepared, equipped, and moved him where he needed to be to play a powerful part of Israel's story. When the Lord is leading you through something, uh, it is not willy-nilly, it is not without intention, it is not uh, just a coincidence. No, he is intentional with where he moves you and with what you experience. I had this thought while talking to my sister about this this week that um, I can't say that it brought God joy, all the heartache that Joseph experienced, but I think it pleased God that Joseph stepped through each of those hardships with his eyes still on the Lord. Because they were necessary steps to become, um, to be in service to Pharaoh so that whenever the famine came, um, he could be utilized God's favor could be poured out on them, and it could bless, one, the people of Egypt, but two, the people in the surrounding areas. Know that God is also preparing you for a unique work and a unique part of his master plan. I said we may not all be kings and queens in the next 30 years, but that doesn't mean that God's calling on your life is not important and is not um, to be powerful and influential in the life of others. See, when I focus on his word and his truth, um, I can fight the good fight with faith that my blessing comes from the God I serve, not the things that I own or the things I produce. I can continue on in my life and in my faith journey and in my ministry here knowing um, that God's presence and his power is my blessing, um, not what I have or don't have or not what I've produced or haven't produced. The gospel of Jesus is clear. It's not based on us. It's not based on my performance. And Jesus says, no, I've prepared a table for you. Come join me. I can inform my heart and my emotions with his truth instead of letting um, them run rampant and inform my heart. Instead of getting confused emotionally and spiritually because I felt like God didn't show up when he was supposed to. 
But when I look at truth and let truth inform my emotions, um, I will still have those days where I feel that way. But I can look to truth and say, no, God, I know you're in control. And I know this isn't without purpose. And I know this isn't outside of your plan. Take heart. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for just the time to be together with our church family. Father, with these people that we can share the wins and the losses with, Father, that we can share our heartaches with, that we can um, ask questions, we can be vulnerable with, God. I pray that we be a church body that um, cultivated that, Jesus with you at the center. Lord, that it would inform um, genuine discipleship as we wrestle with the things of life because we know that we each have um, battles and things we're struggling with. God, I pray for um, anyone in this room who is um, hurting or confused or feeling like they are left out of your blessing or your sight right now, God, that you would, in this moment, Lord, let them know they're not. God, if it's needs that as a church we can meet, that you would burden our heart for it. Father, for me, as um, go through your life and different experiences, that, Lord, my emotions would not dictate what I know about you, but, Lord, that truth would. God, that truth would set my heart and my mind straight whenever they go askew and that your word would continue to be um, paramount in our lives, God. Lord, as we, as we uh, just wrap up today, God, that we wouldn't leave here without responding to what you have for us. But Lord, that you would, um, Lord, that you would convict or you would encourage specifically and that we would be bold in responding to it. We love you, Jesus, and we, Jesus, and we ask all this and in your name. Amen.